Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You're about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions in Oklahoma City that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Plan your next move in real estate with this fast, vital market news to aid your next real estate adventure. Landon is a genuine, self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's a successful investor, property manager, and residential broker who's worked with clients from all over the globe to help achieve their real estate goals. This program will help you gain the much sought after hyper-local information that's vital to making real estate decisions. Whether you live right here in the city or across the country, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Here is your host, Landon Witt. Welcome to episode 40 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we chat with another restaurant owner. These are the owners of The Mule, The Press, and Anchor Down. Three really cool hipster restaurants in Oklahoma City. I know we've had several restaurant owners on the show this quarter, but I think it's important because restaurant owners seem to have the in-real-time heartbeat of a city. Uh, They feel very minute fluctuations in the economy, and they can then translate that into the overall bigger picture. So if you want to see what's going on uh, in the big picture— you might want to look at how the restaurants are performing, which is the day-to-day expenses and 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 extra expenses of the families and people that live in that city. So interesting stuff going on there on today's show. I want to get into the market uh, of Oklahoma City, and then we're going to talk about uh, something that popped up as far as older renters. I'm going to get into that. Very interesting topic uh, for those that are renovating now. I've got some tips for you to prepare for an older set of renters. But uh, I want to get in. So we're now uh, rolling into March in Oklahoma City. And I was really concerned about our month supply uh, being just so low in the northwest Oklahoma City core, which is uh, predominantly where most of our excellent rental uh opportunities are that have, you know, good appreciation or as good of appreciation as you can have in a linear market. And we were down at the bare bottom at two months supply of inventory when we came in in January. And for those that don't understand, month supply of inventory means that if no new homes came on the market, that's how many months it would take for everything to be bought and sold. And we're at two months. Contrast that with someplace like Florida, which is right at about 7.5. Five months of inventory. Anytime we get above six months of inventory, it turns into a buyer's market. Under six months of inventory, it's a seller's market. And so interesting to see that. Now we're upticking coming into March at 2.2 months of inventory. So we're we're heading in the right direction there. And largely that's due to a lot of folks uh, slowing construction and renovation and really just not bringing anything onto the market during the winter. So we went into the winter low inventory historically over the last seven years. We've not been this low. And then we really hit a slowdown with um, just the property values increasing and interest rates bumped up a little bit there. It was a little scary. Um, and people just didn't want to sell. 
I mean, they wanted to sell, but they just had nowhere to go. And that was the, the predominant answer I was getting in listing appointments. It's like, hey, you know, like I, I, we love to sell, but at, at this, you know, what are we going to buy? You know, can you find us something to buy um, that we don't have to downsize? So anyways, moving on to uh, shows per listing. This is another metric. These are metrics, guys, I focus on that you just can't get on Zillow, truly, or Realtor.com. They just they don't provide this data. This is only stuff that, that the MLS provides, so I want to share this with you guys. We are at seven for Northwest Oklahoma City Core, seven average showings per listing, okay? So you want to work with your realtor and understand how many showings you're getting. Uh, over the life of that listing, the average is seven showings. That's up from just last month, okay, was crazy. And and this is why winter is not the time to list a lot of homes, especially homes that require a lot of emotional buying and things like that. But 3.5 showings was, was last month. So, uh, and that's average is about five. So we're back up to the spring numbers at seven, seven average showings per listing. That's good stuff. Our sales price is up still. Okay. We're heading the right direction. Your average sales price coming in at Northwest Oklahoma City Core at $181,000. That was the end of February. We ended that. Um, the entire MLS, so that's the whole central Oklahoma, is running right around $170,000 average sales price. Now, keep in mind, averages take into effect the big ones and the small ones. So, we really see like a, a a median number more closer to that 150 price point. So interesting stuff. Okay, so I don't really see anything else in the market that's that's notable to talk about. So I want to move on to this other topic before we get into the news and into the guest for today. The number of older renters in the U.S. is skyrocketing. New research shows that the number of renter households aged 60 and over rose 43% in the last decade. That unveiled this week by an apartment search website called Rent Cafe. It shows basically that between 2007 and 2017, the number of renter households aged 60 and old, older jumped from 6.5 million to 9.4 million, or basically an increase of 4, 43%. Okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, this means the love affair with house owning till you die is dead or dying very rapidly. Once the kids are moving out, the parents are not buying another home. They're not downsizing. They are simply going to renting. Uh, many uh, analysts believe that this has something to do with the 2008 you know, recession, the Great Recession, that whole period still causing issues for that crowd that lost lost their bacon. I mean, they, they lost their, their, their wealth. They lost a lot in some of the stock fluctuations. And so those folks are unable or not in a position to buy or just they don't want the maintenance. They want to travel more. They want to do things. They want to be able to call you, the landlord, and have you fix things. So what does this mean to us? Well, actually, older fixed income tenants can be a great asset to your portfolio because, as we all know, they're generally responsible individuals, okay? They've got life experience. They're, you know, stable. They've got this rebellious attitude is way behind them. But there's a couple of things that we may note there. One of which is when you have a tenant that's been, you know, that's 60 and on a fixed income, well, 
that means you're going to have you're going to face difficulties raising the rent, right? Because your constituent or your your tenant, right, is on a fixed income. Okay? So keep that in mind. However, the beauty of what we do putting our properties on a 30-year fixed rate interest rate, right, a 30-year loan, means that you can control a lot of the variables. Now, interest is still going to change. Taxes are still going to change. But those metric, the big metric of interest rate is going to stay the same. So use that in your benefit. What do you do to prepare for these older crowds or to entice these older folks to rent in your home? Well, you got to think about a couple of things. Like, for example, if someone happens to be in a wheelchair, can they fit their wheelchair in your bathroom? Is there stairs? You know, these things on this trend, you know, we've looked at homes without stairs before, and I always push for a one-story whenever you can because it's just less complicated when you have to do plumbing and repairs and bathtubs are leaking on the second floor and you got to rip out the ceiling to try to get to it. It's a pain, right? So whenever I like one-story, but this is another reason for why you need to stage in the coming future for getting a one-story. They're going to entice this older rental crowd. So anyways, fun stuff. You can read that. Again, you can check out uh, Rent Cafe, the discussions on there. Also, just Googling uh, older renters in the U.S. is skyrocketing. You can see several of these articles. And on to the news. Hello, I'm Aaron Christian in Oklahoma City for the OKC Real Estate Show with this week's news. Construction begins on $89 million expansion at Will Rogers Airport. The project will expand the East Concourse, add four new gates, a glass-enclosed public observation gallery, additional seating in the baggage claim area, more space for shopping, dining and concessions, and completely reconfigure the security check-in process with a consolidated and streamlined checkpoint. The design of the 145,000-square-foot addition allows for a total of nine new gates, which will address ever-increasing travel volume. Airport renovation is scheduled for completion in the second quarter of 2021. Former warehouses to become another Automobile Alley mixed-use project. Plans have been drawn to redevelop three one-story warehouse buildings at 1 Northeast 7th Street, directly east of the railroad tracks. Plans show the intention to modernize the three structures with a large outdoor patio and a parking lot added to the east. Many industrial features will be retained, such as raw brick walls and high ceilings. Work continues on the $21 million expansion of the National Softball Stadium. Located directly north of the Oklahoma City Zoo, the improvements are part of a contractual obligation that will keep the Women's College Softball World Series in town through the 2035 season. The work commenced at the end of the 2018 World Series and will be built in two phases over a two-year period. The improvements will ultimately add an upper deck of 4,000 additional seats, bringing capacity to 11,300. Other enhancements include new restrooms, suites, media areas, and underground connection of team rooms to the dugouts. The entire project is set to be complete before the 2020 World Series. And now it's back to Landon with this week's guest. We're here in the studio today with Joey. Joey is the co-owner of Hungry Town Concepts, which is a holding company that owns three prominent restaurants in town here. 
If you've been in town for any length of time, you may have run into one of these restaurants, either you or your friends, maybe you've been invited, uh, Anchor Down, The Mule, and The Press, one of which is located in an area that's just been exploding in, in residential uh, home values right there in the plaza. Beautiful story of a company that's really embedded in the community and doing some amazing things in Oklahoma. Uh, Joey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell me a little bit about how you got into owning restaurants. I mean, that's not something you just do overnight. Sure. Yeah. Um, so me and, and my partners, we are all just restaurant people. So we all, uh, we went to school at Oklahoma State, but, um, you know, I worked at Eskimo Joe's in Stillwater. If anybody's familiar with the Stillwater area, you'll know that restaurant. Um, when we were done with school, we moved back here. We ended up working at The Wedge, which is a local pizza place. Did that for a few years and decided to take the jump and and uh, try to do it for ourselves. So just restaurant people just kind of doing what we love. Mm, wow. And so you were raised in Norman then? or where, where? Raised in Edmond, actually. Edmund. Mm -hmm. mm, okay. So two of us from Edmond, one of us from Owasso, one of us from Stillwater. Which, those of you who are not from Oklahoma City, that's a that's a suburb just north. Some of you investors that have been already looking, you see Edmonds up there. So, Okay, so native Oklahoman, and you'd start going into this business. How hard was it to start this business in Oklahoma? It was definitely a challenge. It would I would be lying to say it wasn't a challenge. Um you know, it was a learning process. We didn't, because we didn't have a ton of money to do it. We did a lot of mistakes, made a lot of mistakes and learned things the hard way, which, you know, in turn made it easier the second time and third time around to do it. Um, but typically, you know, I mean, there are some, a, a lot of really welcoming people that were ready, are ready to kind of help you out um, going through these processes and stuff, all that it takes to kind of open the doors. So, mm, Wow. Okay. So you've got a couple of different locations and one of which uh, I recently went to Anchor Down, which totally enjoyed the experience, but it's in a container, like a shipping container. In fact, actually the complex is like stacked shipping containers. What's going on with that? How was that renovating? I mean, like, what? how did you start? I mean, is this just a blank container? I mean, what what it, happens there? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it's, it's, I think it's 18 total containers. Now, Anchor Down only occupies a total of about four and a half of them of the way they're kind of, they're kind of cut out. But the, you know, as far as the construction process went, I know that they had to kind of court a uh, contractor to kind of convince them to, to help them do it. Because I don't think anybody in the city had experience working with them before. Um, and you know, the builder that did it, did a fantastic job, I think, um, and really executed a, an, an architectural vision, uh, that, you know, when you look at a mock-up, sometimes you'll be like, well, this looks great. And then when you see it finished, it might not look the same. I mean, this looked identical. It was like, we saw a picture, it looked identical to what mm. it looks now, like identical to the, uh, architectural vision of the place to begin with. And yeah, I mean, it was a whole process. I mean, it was mm. just like every other construction process. Now, do you guys lease there or did you buy the building? Or? So we leased that one, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we leased that through, um, through. I, I mean, the LLC is OKCSEA. So it's mm. kind of the play on the shipping containers there. Um, mm. But Richard McCallan, local local real, real estate um, developer, has some, uh, you know, he has some apartments and stuff downtown Mosaic, which is right by there, the uh, mm. level. He does those as well mm. and kind of wanted a playground for his residents down there. And that's kind of the format behind that development. Sure. That's great. Yeah. And, I, and I like the fact that he used, you know, this sustainable kind of building construction method. It's really cool. It's a great experience. We'll post a picture uh, actually down below in the description. You can see uh, see what this building looks like. The location's great. Uh, interesting environment. Okay. So we talked with Ryan Parrott recently. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Oso and, and sure. uh, Picasso. 
Um, and we talked a little bit about the the <laughs> the havocs you go through as a restaurant owner of trying to decide what's going to be on your menu and how to market to your people on based on flavors and this kind of thing. And, and you know, he kind of ran us through this concept of they did specials and they did all this. How difficult is it in our market to get a new product that's unusual, you know, for people to consume? I mean, hamburgers and stuff, it seems pretty easy, but but these other menu items that you guys offer are unique. Sure. And I think that increasingly more difficult, I think, and, and I would I would bet that Ryan would probably echo my sentiment on this, That, um, but it's also good. So the way we view the restaurant market in Oklahoma City right now is it's kind of in a boom. Um, to me, I think that's great. Uh, because I think what it does is it elevates the food culture as a whole. So mm. um, stuff that Ryan probably said about, about you know, yeah, trying out the specials and trying to be unique, that's a big part of um, the Mule and, and Anchor Down specifically. Uh, when we opened those two places, we wanted to do something that wasn't being done. Um, not just burgers, not just pizza, not just whatever it was. We wanted to do something unique. You know, the Mule food concept is a gourmet grilled cheese or a melt sandwich. There was nothing like that six and a half years ago when we opened. Um, same thing with Anchor Down. Obviously, there's no other bars that, you know, specialize in corn dogs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. stuff around. And, and it, it is a lot of trial and error. Um, and then with our third concept, the press, it's that one is more of a comfort food. And that one is basically just a take on what we grew up eating um, with our spin on it. And, and I think that's the important thing. And, and I know for a fact, Ryan does a great job doing this himself, where he has a menu item that is on some other menus. However, the way Ryan spends it mm-hmm. um, and the way he the way he adds to it is is what makes it unique. And I think that's a big part of it is is people want that, you know, they want the, they want it better and better, you know, mm. and it's a good thing for, I think the whole, you know, food scene in Oklahoma city. What would you say is the ratio of, of what some restaurant owners call their constituents? Okay. Mm. Their, their restaurant, uh, partakers, their patrons, what percentage is brand new and what percentage is just return business that you see on just a return visit? I mean, is there a way to track that or just, I'm sure there is. And, and, and for me to even guess, I don't know that I would, <laughs> I don't know that my number would come out accurate. Sure. I do, you know, and, and we've been in the business locally for a long time. And mm-hmm. um, something that I think is relatively unique about me and, and my business partners is that we operate in the restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in there. I'm a manager, one of the managers of the press specifically right now. Um, and these are people that I've seen from even working at Joe's waiting tables and at the wedge waiting tables and, you know, bartending at the mule when we first opened, sorry, opened. And, uh, there's just people that you see. And so you see all these familiar faces and those are the, those are the people that, you know, you don't, you kind of, it's like that thing where you see somebody, you don't know where you know them from, mm. but you know, they're familiar. And it's kind sure. of that thing, which you, you know, any restaurant person would say you have to develop the regular clientele. That's what, that's what mm. helps. That's what pays the bills really. That's right. So that's right. Yeah, I, I know during the government shutdown, you, you know, at the time this airs, hopefully maybe the, get, the shutdown will be over, but we're at like 34 days in and I was hearing NPR talking about Washington, D.C. restaurants and how the furloughed employees right now that are not at work, the ones that are embedded right next to the government facilities, that was their lunch break. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like that's where their business was coming and they're hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And in fact, some of them have even gotten waitstaff jobs, you know, at some of the bars and stuff to make you know, current cash, you know, while they're waiting for their checks. So it's interesting to hear that that, you know, is making national news. These restaurants, you know, are missing their their repeated customers all of a sudden and how 
how much that affected their entire scope and their reality when when that one company or that one business that constantly visits them. I mean, I think a great example is Chipotle right next to Integris. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a uh, or, or not Integris. Um, what's the hospital? It's, ba- it's about it's, it's Baptist. Isn't Baptist, it? yeah. yeah. Which I think is maybe it is the same, but the, all hospitals, <laughs> <laughs> but right across. I mean, they just get tremendous amount of business from from those uh, employees that are over there. So I mean, I think as a restaurant, you're so embedded in the actual economy and culture of a town. That's why I think it's interesting to have you here. Um, so talk to me a little bit about when you say the culture of Oklahoma City, what is that? What, what would you define that as? You know, I, in, increasingly, um, I, it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's weird. So it, with, with the restaurants, our, our demographic, what we're, what we're shooting for when we um, open a place is all inclusive, literally everybody. Uh, if you're, if you're breathing and you, and you're hungry and you want to, and you want to come eat, that's who we want to appeal to. Um, what I've noticed is that surprisingly, when we opened the mule, I thought this was going to be some kind of hip, younger crowd that would come in and eat, you know, people like we were 20, we were all in our mid twenties when we started the mule and we kind of thought we were appealing to ourselves. This is who, this is, we opened a place we want to go. Um, and I was amazed at the broad demographic that brought in. And I think, you know, the, the arts culture in Oklahoma city has come a long way. I think obviously the restaurant culture in Oklahoma city has come a long way. I think, socially we're becoming more diverse we're opening our eyes a little bit i think it's something i think it's a really interesting time to live here having lived here all my life i think it's something that you become increasingly more proud of of being um from oklahoma from oklahoma city from the area as things kind of develop and change and you know the oklahoma city that we all grew up in is a 180 from now i think you know so we just talked with jake chilcote from cbd plus incredible episode um 36, I think, was that episode. And and they've gone from one store to 52 stores now. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing story. Uh, One of the things he brought in was a book called The Third Wave, which is from uh, the the creator of AOL. And he said the third wave is all about the Midwest and this whole movement of because new businesses can flourish because it's not like East Coast and West Coast expensive. We're just you have to have millions of dollars to invest in a restaurant here. The the space is relatively cheap. You mm-hmm. know, the overhead's relatively low. The wages, you know, it's the cost of living is lower. So you can get good quality employees without, you know, being crazy pay. So I think it's interesting to see uh, these things take hold in the Midwest like never before. And then, you know, he kind of prophesied that in that book, which is which is very interesting. Um, walk me back to that moment when somebody, let's say, outside of what you expected coming into the mule said, you did an incredible job here, or your food is great. I really like this place. What did that feel like as a restaurant owner? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's still like the ultimate, that's like the ultimate high you get from doing it. You know, that's the that's the thing that makes you feel really, really good. You know, it's, it's something that still, you know, I'm working, work the dining room a lot at the press on a Friday night and, you know, walking by a table and overhearing them saying something super positive about, you know, what you're trying to do is, yeah, it's like the ultimate reward. You know, I mean, that is truly like the, yeah, it, it feels really good because, you know, you put out this vision and you think, I hope everybody likes it. And, you know, for a long time, when you first open, you just, you kind of, honestly, you feel kind of naked in the dining room, hoping that everybody likes it. And then when the reception is good, feel great. You know, just, mm. it's the, it's really, truly is the most rewarding part of the job probably. So, mm. Was there ever a moment when maybe the doors weren't swinging open and the seats <laughs> may have been empty where you thought, oh boy, what did we do? Yeah. I think, um, and Catherine Mathis, another, uh, 
fellow restaurateur in Oklahoma City who does, you know, Gusto and helps Chris Lauer with her stuff. She always tells me, um, you know, if you're not scared, you shouldn't do it. And I agree. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are, there are still times, you know, this is January, February, and every business has its slow season. Typically, this is the restaurant slow season. It's these two months are pretty slow. September's not great. And yeah, I mean, I, I am, uh, my brain works in a weird way to where, yeah, if, if it's 11 and nobody comes, nobody's right at the door waiting, I'm like, well, this is it. This is the last day. We're closing <laughs> tomorrow. This is it. Yeah. But, you know, it ends up, everything comes out and it turns out great. But yeah, I'm definitely, yes. It is. <laughs> I, you know, I think every, I mean, that's just the same way in real estate where, I mean, I think in any business where you're an entrepreneur and you're self, self-employed, you know, you you are giving up the security of a W-2 job or whatever for the ability to be creative and, and be on your own schedule, but it comes with that huge burden, you know? And I think a lot of people forget that when they're sitting in a restaurant that this restaurant is a product of somebody going, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take this chance. I'm gonna go and do, the, do all these menus and come up with what I think is important for you to experience tonight, you know? And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, you know? And I think it's just as an entrepreneur, it's like, okay, I failed, no big deal. What do we do now, you know? And pressing forward through that. I mean, yesterday, perfect example, we were doing a 360 tour at a 3000 square foot property. And I got to the end and and one of them has a guest quarters and I guess she didn't get the memo that we were doing a tour and she's like, what are you doing here? You know, like, uh, you know, I'm just like, I just need to film just a quick little video. I'm just going to come through, you know, she's like, okay, in 10 minutes, you know, so I do the rest and I go through there and I got finished with the tour and I realized I forgot to push record. No. And you know, you're sitting in the car and you're just like, <laughs> that's the difference between like the hourly thinking and just uh, the entrepreneur is I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is my company name on the line. Like I, the client needs this done. Like we have to do this. And I, I remember looking over to Aaron, our producer was actually in the car at the time. And I said, Aaron, this like, this is an entrepreneur right here. And I took the camera, put it together and just negotiated with this lady. Mm-hmm. Like, don't shoot me, but yep. I got to go back through and and re-record your house because I was an idiot, you know? And, <laughs> and and so I think there's so many of those moments, you know, where you just bite the bullet. And, and I think that's where you get the reward is you took the risk. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, you, you were scared and you said, you know what, got to do it. So uh, hats off to you guys. Um, what are your plans for next year? I mean, this year, I mean, 2019 is kicking off. What are you, you guys launching anything new? I mean, new menu items, new specials. I mean, what's 2019 hold for you guys? Yeah, so I mean, we're always looking, I mean, we're always changing. So the menus, you know, you can expect from us that the menus in some way will change uh, twice a year. So we usually do a spring and then we do, you know, late spring and then we do kind of an early fall. So we'll start doing those menu revisions um, here starting now, actually. So we're going to come out with some new menus at all three places. We'll end up getting a little bit of an adjustment. This isn't like a huge 180. We keep the same ideas. We just kind of play with some different stuff. We've ran specials on and stuff before. You know, as far as expanding goes, I think at this point, we're kind of in a holding pattern with us mainly because of of our personal lives and our families and just kind of taking a taking a second uh, we do want to expand our the brand of the mule um and so we're looking at some different markets right now um here locally mm-hmm. in the metro area to kind of expand into um and just kind of keeping our options open as far as that stuff goes so what do you look for in a in a, an expansion i mean what what's the you're just looking for high, high, uh, you know, pedestrian traffic. I mean, what, what, what are the criteria for that? I think it's ideal, and I mean, something that I mean, a, a formula we kind of have right now is, I mean, we have two, two, um, 
two restaurants, the Press and the Mule, uh, both in the Plaza District in Oklahoma City, and then we have the uh, Anchor Down over in Deep Deuce. And something we always look for is a neighborhood, and I'm like a true neighborhood, like where mm-hmm. you're in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Gatewood and the Class and Tenpin area are on the Plaza, mm-hmm. obviously the Deep Deuce area mm-hmm. and downtown area, living areas around Deep Deuce. Um, and that's something we kind of still look for. I mean, even if we were looking in a suburban area, uh, it would still be something close to residents. Something to identify. Yeah. Right, yeah. you know. Sure, sure. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure that folks that don't know about Oklahoma City are really kind of understanding what's happening here. I mean, we've talked about, um, you know, age demographics all over the place, uh, culture all over the place. We've also talked about um, your experience with, you know, you said when I started this, it was a lot harder than I thought. Was that from a government standpoint of licensing permits and all that or just plain restaurant business is tough? It was definitely on the restaurant business's tough side. I mean, that part is tough. As far as as far as like the you know dealing with the the eighth floor at the city building in Oklahoma mm-hmm. City, it's say it's a dream. They're very nice. It's they're not going to make you sit there with your number in your hand waiting, and then when you get up there, not really knowing the right end. They're going to guide you to kind of where you're at, and that's what that's what was refreshing. Like you know, me not being a contractor, being able to go pick up a city permit is nice mm-hmm. um, when I need to or or finish inspection stuff and. You know, it is an accepting like they it's it's feels like they want you to succeed, which is super nice, you know. Mm-hmm. So, hey, it's been in the news touted as the number one place to start a small business. Some of you guys have seen that the U.S. Chamber uh, has pumped that Time magazine has even uh, listed us as uh, a most business friendly in the Midwest. So look hard at Oklahoma City in the coming future, 2019, 2020, and really 2021 will be our golden year with the finishing of the convention center. Uh, the finishing of Scissortail Park, $130 million park that's already paid for by a penny tax that went out to the Oklahoma City people. So when we buy stuff, it's unique in the place that we're, we're not in a town that's in debt. And we still have a lot of struggles with schools. We still have a lot of struggles of our own as a city. But in terms of uh, future and opportunity, it's unmatched. Joey, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Landon. Subscribe to our podcast to hear fresh local market information. We need ideas for our show and we want to hear from you. Visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Looking to buy or sell in Oklahoma City? Meet with the award-winning team today at OKCRealEstateShow.com. That's OKCRealEstateShow.com.